Well, we've been working on a list that uh, uh, we developed to look at uh, the 10 marks of a healthy church. Let me just kind of give you a quick, quick, quick review because uh, we're on number eight today. But number uh, one was healthy churches have who is the foundation? Jesus is our foundation of his healthy church. Number two, healthy churches have effective prayer lives. We spend time before God, with others, alone, talking with God, listening to God. Third, uh, we recognize who we are and that we have not arrived yet and that we are in the process of growing spiritually. Uh, Fourth, we see the discipline that happens in our lives not as something to tear us down, but as something that God uses to teach us and instruct us and to build us up. Uh, fifth, we value the leaders in our church, uh, those in different roles that, that have places of responsibility. We have a deep, abiding, abiding passion for the lost. Uh, we're focused outward, not inward. And we have a great attitude to the things that God has given us, the possessions we have. As we enter this home stretch of the message series, I want to remind you what we're describing is not things to do, rather who we are. So don't go, well, this is the list. If we do these things, we'll be good. No, these are things we do because we're in relationship with Christ. And when I stop to consider this list, as I do each week as I'm preparing, I'm tempted to say something like this. There's no way I can do all those things. And you know what? I think that's a good thing to say. Because here's the reality. You and I can't do these things on our own. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit within us changing us, transforming us, to lead us to live lives that these kind of things happen in our lives. Because when we recognize we can't do it, then the Spirit can do it. And I think about children. You know, a healthy child grows, a healthy church grows, a healthy Christian grows. There's some things that just happen. And that brings us to our characteristic today. And it's this, healthy churches live with a holy boldness. Now, I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 4. We're not going to look at the whole chapter for the sake of time, but I want you to understand what was going on there. Peter and uh, John, along with some of the other disciples, had been out proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And where they were doing this was at the temple court of the center of Jewish worship, Kind of like in the heart of enemy territory, if you want to look at it in kind of that way. Uh, because what they're doing is saying, you know, all this stuff we've grown up hearing about Messiah's coming, the Messiah is this, this is who God is. He's here. He's come. And y'all caused him to be crucified. But that was God's plan. And it's okay. And I gotta tell you, when you go into the, the, the lion's den and tell them what they've done wrong, how often does that go well? Yeah, not often, right? That's what happened to these guys. They were in the midst of this place. They were telling what was going on. Oh, on top of that, God brought the deliverance of a man that day who had been ill from birth and healed him through these guys. So it was like a proof that this is real and it's not going too well for them. And so because of that, they got hauled into the authorities at the council. Let me remind you, these are the same people who made the decision to have Jesus crucified. Serious moment. Y'all with me? You're standing before the guys that caused Jesus to be crucified, and they could do the same thing to you. But they looked around and they said, man, if we do something to these guys, 
we're going to have a riot on our hands because the crowds are thinking that they're pretty cool. They're doing all right. And they're praising God for what's going on. So we better step back and threaten them instead. Kind of like getting a warning when you get stopped by the officer. Have you ever thought of that as a threat? Well, it kind of is, isn't it? He says, if you don't slow down, next time we meet, you know, with me, you're not getting a warning, you're getting a, a gift. You ever thought of those as gifts? Maybe not. And that leads us to the passage I want us to focus on. I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, so just listen to the story, and then we'll come back and, and, and kind of break it down. And so when they were released, the men were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were, there were gathered against, uh, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. Father, I pray that as we take just a few minutes to kind of break this story down, Lord, show us what they did, what they were involved in, Father, that maybe they're a touch of their heart, that, Father, we could grasp a bit of that boldness ourselves as individuals walking with you, that we would find a confidence to step out and to be the people you call us to be in the world that so desperately needs to see your love in us. God, teach us through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a couple things I want you to see that happen. So you've got the picture. They have been out preaching, sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus. They got in trouble. They got their hands slapped, basically. They could have been killed because of what they did. And instead, they were released. Now, notice what happens when they're released. They had been faithfully living out what God called them to do. They've been speaking the name of Jesus in a place that wasn't the easiest place to do so. And in spite of fears and trepidation, they've gone to the place where they gathered. They went and were faithful. And once they are released, here's what they do. They sought community support. Now you're going, that's not surprising. No, it really isn't because when we have hard times in life, most of us do what? We look for somebody to support us, someone to encourage us, someone to speak something good in our lives. Say, hey, you can hang in there. Don't give up. Don't go away. But believe uh, you're in that situation and understand you're in that situation. They've rejected your words. They've rejected you individually. They've got you before authorities and said, stop. And as you leave, where do you go? You know, some of us might say, I'm going back home to mama. You know, with me? I'm out of here. Not these guys. Look who they went to. They went to their community of faith. 
They drew close to other believers. They said, we want to be with them. They didn't run. They didn't hide. They didn't change their story. They didn't change their tune. They didn't give up on their convictions. What did they do? They went back to the ones who were their support structure, their congregation, their church, their fellowship, if you want to use another word for that. They were with them. See, healthy churches emulate the pattern of Peter and John. When things get tough... Psychologically, they tell us there's two choices. You can what? Fight or flight. Those are the two words they use in, in psychology. Well, in, in real life, that's just it is what it is. We either what? Run to others for support or we run away. That's the two choices we have. And what they do here is emulate, show for us what we ought to do in these moments is to say, I'm not going to run away from the hardship. I'm going to run together with others and find support, find encouragement to hang in there, to keep going, to do the right thing, to not give up. Healthy churches, that's what we do. They come together in hard times, not run away from each other. And so they return to the place where the church gathered. They tell the story. This is what happened. Here we are. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? So how do you respond? Well, look at verse 24 and verse 25. When they heard it, they did this. They started a social media campaign to blacklist the leaders in town. Y'all with me? I told the administration what they thought of them. They started a riot. I don't know. No, they didn't. Here's what they did. This is modeling for us what it means to be wholly bold in life. You ready? And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices. Get this. Together to who? To God. What did they do? They got together and they prayed. They said, let's get together and let's talk to the Lord about what we should do, how we respond, how do we deal with this situation, how do we face this. And they said this, Sovereign Lord, what's a good place to start, isn't it? Acknowledge who he is, that he's God and we're not, and he's wise and, well, we're not. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. I'm stopping there because I want you to see right here what's going on. Their immediate action was to do what? To pray. How often do we do that? When things get hard, when things get difficult, when things get out of whack, what do we do? We go to our friends, we go to our spouses, we go to our, our, our neighbors, we go to those around, we start posting stuff on social media, we start complaining about it, we do this and we do that. Listen, you can do all that, but the answers aren't going to be found there. Why? Because the answers to the trials of life when things get hard is to say, God, we need your leadership and your lordship in our lives. And that's what they do. They seek God's gracious lordship. Now, notice the word they used here. It's translated Lord. It says sovereign Lord. The word that's translated Lord is not the word that we normally have in Greek for Lord. It's a different word, and I think the writer used it on purpose to make a point for us that we need to grasp. I'll give you the Greek word. There's no pop test at the end of the class, okay, so you're good. But it's despotes. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the root word of an English word called despot. And a despot is somebody who what? Tells you exactly what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, they'll probably like cut your head off, and it won't go well for you. You with me? These guys are tough, 
And so what he does is he recognizes, not that God would cut our head off, but he recognizes that God has the role and the authority and the place in our lives to do what? To tell us, here's what's going to happen. They're acknowledging God's lordship in this moment and saying, God, we need you to do this. And notice they didn't all speak at one time. One person led the prayer. It's interesting. It hadn't changed a lot in years, has it? We usually have one person lead us in prayer. I said, brother so-and-so, will you lead us in prayer? Why do we do that? Because somebody has to voice it. And so what goes on here is one person lifted the voice and the rest come together in agreement and say, God, we're agreeing with what they're saying. We're agreeing with where they're leading. Healthy churches understand that when things get hard, when things don't get hard, when things are great, when things aren't great, who do we run to? We run to the Lord Jesus and say, God, you're our despot. You have the authority to tell us exactly what to do, how to do it, where to do it, why to do it, when to do it. Some of you go, well, not me. I'm the boss of my life. I got to tell you something. That's not the way it's supposed to work in Christian circles. We're supposed to not surrender to a leader in a church, but to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in every aspect of our lives. Say, God, you're our Lord. You're our King. You're the one who guides us. And then notice as the prayer goes on, he says this, why did the Gentiles rage? Now, if you have a modern translation of the Bible and you happen to have it open or you have an app that you're looking at, you'll notice that these verses are indented in a modern translation. The King James, it just verse by verse by verse and doesn't catch it up. But in the newer translations, they do it. And what they're trying to tell us is this, this is something that's different. It's a quote. It's a quote of a passage from Psalm 2. What he does here, the prayer, whoever that is, and we're not told who the prayer is. It could have been Peter. It could have been John. It could have been Bob. We don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter who it is. They're leading the group in prayer, and they recorded the prayer, and he quotes a Scripture verse. I love bringing Scripture into prayer because we find words that God speaks to other situations that apply to ours. Look what he says. He says, why did the Gentiles rage? So you're thinking, the Gentiles rage? What in the world? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In context, Psalm 2 is talking about the city of Jerusalem and about King David and those situations where the nations around were raging to come after them, to destroy them. In this prayer here, he says, let's bring it into our day and it applies to us. The people around us would love nothing more than to shut us up, shut us down, and get rid of us. But God, they're raging, they're plotting The kings are setting themselves against us. They're against you. They're against your son. Because truly in this city where we, where they were, there were gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus. These guys, the death of Jesus was fresh just a few months before. They were around when it happened. They were there when he was buried. They were there when they waited three days. Well, something happened. They were there when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. They were there when Jesus showed to them in the, in the, in the mountain in the north. They were there when he commanded them to become. They were, and they're going, God, these people have been after us. But get this. They understand that God was going to accomplish his purpose in spite of these people. What they're recognizing is this. They want God's divine leading. Have you ever stopped to think about how God leads us in life? Sometimes we go, oh, well, yeah, he speaks to me audibly. Mm, Probably. 
Most of us, that would not be the case. Okay? So how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through that still, quiet voice sometimes in prayer. He speaks to us through trusted friends that come along and say, Hey, brother, sister, you need to think about this. God speaks to us in lots of different ways, but I've got to tell you, until we choose to look for his leading, we won't find it. He won't, we won't find it. The healthy churches say, we want to be a part of what you're doing because we're going to know you can use even the actions of rebellious, religious people to share the gospel. One commentator said this, because they saw their circumstances in light of God's word, they could recognize that the breath of man never operated outside of the sphere of God's control, and these enemies of Jesus could only do whatever God's hand allowed. God was working even through the religious leaders of that day. He was even working through the Roman leaders that day. He was working in that moment. And so you think, well, how could that be? They weren't godly. God can use whoever and whatever he wants to to accomplish his purpose. Ultimately, what they wanted to find and then follow was God's leading. And that's what I want you to see. Healthy churches, healthy congregations, that's what we do. We seek God's leading. We go, God, we don't really understand how to deal with this. We think we know what we would do. But it's more important to find what God would do and where God would lead us. Healthy churches seek God's face. They pray God's word. They desire to find God's leading. And we find peace in that. So they sought his uh, Christian support. They sought God's leadership. They sought God's divine leading. But they also want to seek God's powerful leverage. Now, I use that word for alliterative purposes, but I want you to understand the meaning behind that is this. They wanted God to fill them. They wanted God's power to be in their lives. They didn't want to do what they could do. They wanted to do what God only could do. You follow the difference? See, a lot of things I can do. Most of you have got so much more skill and talent than I. You can accomplish a thousand things. Listen, and that's good. But I want to see us move to great, to see God move in us. So with these people seeking God's leadership and leading, all that's left is his leverage. In the face of terrible trials, it would have been easy to come to a conclusion that maybe God says, well, maybe we need to move. We need to get out of here. We need to go somewhere else. Instead, their prayer is not centered on human desires, but on the holy desire of God. God, what do you want? Where are you leading? What's your direction? So their, their God-led response to the recent events of persecution was not ask for release, which is what we often do. When things get hard, what do we do? I gotta get out of here. I gotta do something else. I gotta go somewhere else. I gotta be somewhere else. I gotta, ah. God may just have the victory right around the corner for you. And you walk away. They believe God had and could work through them to share the good news. They didn't want self-glorification. They wanted God glorification. God, we want you. One other commentator said this, It is a snare, it is a snare to long to be used to do miraculous things. It's a trap. You go, oh God, I want you to do something miraculous through me. We got the wrong attitude. It's okay if God does something miraculous through you. Don't misunderstand. You want to give God praise for it if he does. But that's not the motivation that we should have. Because it's often rooted in the pride that we want to see how great God can use us. I'm here to remind you, it's not about us. 
It's about God. What these people wanted was not to be elevated, but they wanted God to humbly use their lives. God, take me and use me. Healthy under churches understand the path to grace. This is not what they do, but how they're able to be used by God to do what God wants to do. It's so easy to mix those up, isn't it? We go, look what we did. Look how amazing we are. Look how the kings think we've accomplished. I got to tell you, there's a praise in that and there's a credit in that, but I don't think it's the better things that God has for us. It's about God getting the glory. And so they've done this prayer. They've done all this. What happened? Here's what happened in verse 31. Wow. When they prayed, what happened? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That's an interesting word in the Greek we'll come back to. And they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They are together kind of licking their wounds, if you will, trying to figure out what's next after they have been taken before the authorities and been told to what? Don't talk anymore. Don't keep doing this Jesus stuff anymore. You know he's not really the Messiah. You need to quit what you're talking about. And they've come back together and they said, okay, what are we going to do? Somebody has led them in prayer. They've prayed scripture in the moment and now they're saying, God, would you answer us? And God answers mightily. I think what happens here is they experience God's Holy significance. You know, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that every one of us in this room wants our lives to count for something, don't we? We want our lives to matter. We want to get to the end of our days and it be, our family doesn't say, whew, we're glad they're gone. You with me? But they're going, man, She was such an impact in our family. She made such a difference in our lives. She was such a positive person. She made such a difference in in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our grandkids' lives. She made a He made a difference in the world in which he lived, not because of who he was, but because God worked through him. I think we're looking for that, and most people are trying to find that. And what happened in response to their prayer is nothing short of supernatural because there was a shaking in the room. And the, the word... Translated shaken is, you know, the the scripture talks about how we're pressed together, full, shaken together. It's the idea that we're full and then they shake us a little bit and we get a little more full and we get shaken and we get fuller. Fuller? Is that a word? Fuller? Fuller is a word. I don't know if it's the right context, but it's it's a word. And and we get full and we get a little bit more full and we're more full. God keeps shaking us together. We make a difference in life. And he does something here that I, I'm going to tell you I'd never noticed before. He, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you see that in the text? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going, wait a second, this is Acts 4. Acts 2, we're going to look at that text next week, but Acts 2 is where the Holy Spirit came and did what for the first time? You remember? Filled them, okay? And you're going, oh, wait a second. Oh, by the way, in between... Chapter 2 and chapter 4, there's another filling that happens with Peter. Peter gets filled, but he gets empty quick. You with me? God has to fill him and fill him again and fill him again. Some of us think, oh, well, God gave me the Holy Spirit at my salvation and I'm done. I don't need him to come and work in my life anymore. Oh, how far wrong we are, friends. 
We need God's Spirit to come and fill us again and again and again. It's an experience we experienced the first time at salvation, or for them it was at Pentecost. It's something that God wants to do again and again and again. Not some ecstatic experience where we start speaking in crazy different languages, but in the ongoing renewing of Him in us. Because He's our power. He's the one that allows us to find significance. And being renewed and filled on a regular basis, we become the people God wants us to be in boldness. So what what do you do with this crazy little story? Three quick thoughts and we'll be done. Might even finish before noon today. Last week I took a little minute after, so we'll trade it off this week. Is that all right with y'all? First, in trials, what we have to do is envision envision the next step. So say, okay, we're in the middle of a trial. Things are hard. Things are difficult. We don't know exactly what we're going to do. We can do a couple different things. We can fall into the patterns of pagan living and start complaining and gropping and scheming and conniving and figuring out how we're going to figure out to take care of us and nobody else. What do we want? What do we want to do? Where do we want to go? How do we want to accomplish it? What do we want? And we'd say, I'm the leader, and so it's all about me. Instead, we need to learn to seek God's leading. I want you to hear this clearly. When a person answers the call of God for salvation, he becomes our master. He's our savior, but he's also our master. He tells us this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. He leads us. He invites us. He draws us. He woos us. He wants us to abide with him. He wants us to hang out with him and stay with him. I mean, I know this concept is very foreign in the land of the of the free and the home of the brave. We think, I'm the master of my destiny. I'm going to tell you, as a child of God, that is no longer true. Some of you are thinking, I've lost my mind and drawn a third head and and crazy. I get it. But this is Christian faith, not American faith. This is about what God calls us to be, not what the culture calls us to be. The difference he has for us is that we say, God, I want to listen to you. I want to envision what you have for me. I want to follow you. And so we have to look up and not down. we got to look uh, in, around and not in. It's hard to do that, isn't it? I'm reminded of the passage that David, when he reminds the people of a truth over in Psalm 32, he says, God says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Some of us go, well, you can share your thought, God, if you want to, but I'm going to make the decision. I've got to tell you the significance and the boldness in Christ that we're seeking and wanting is found when we say, God, not me, but you, Not, not my life, but you, not my will, as Jesus prayed but yours. Second, in prayer, we need to expect an answer. The big part of this passage is a prayer. They came together and, and they could have listed all the problems and all the issues and all the reasons they should do something different. They should go somewhere. Don't go back to the temple and preach. We'll go preach somewhere else. No, no, no. They said, we want what God wants. And they went to God in prayer, get this, believing that God would answer the prayer. Do we do that? Do we come to God really believing that God's going to answer? Or do we just go, well, I guess I ought to pray because that's what I'm supposed to do. Check, move on. Expect God to answer. 
their prayers. Healthy churches are characterized by a sense of us coming to God first that says, God, we want you to lead us. We want you to direct us. We want you to guide us. We want you to be in charge. I know this, this is an archaic idea, but it's the idea that we're called to abide with him. It's not a word I use very often in language. I don't go, hey, I'm going to go home and abide with my family. I just don't talk like that anymore, right? It's not part of our culture. But the idea is very valid. It's the idea that we say, God, we want you to be with us. And we want us to be with you. And we want to walk with you and talk with you and listen to you and hear from you and let you speak to us and let your presence permeate our lives to the point where we go, okay, I'm with you. Jesus I was talking about that in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you ask and it'll be asked and it'll be done for you. Jesus was not saying you'll get what you want. He was saying your wants will change. See, when I walk with God, when I talk with God, when I listen to God, my desires begin to change. My wants begin to change. And when I pray something that is in God's perfect will, guess what God's going to do every time? He's going to do it. Healthy churches grasp that. Third, in surrender, we experience God's power. Grasp this truth. You, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, you were not saved merely to spend eternity with God. You were saved to spend eternity with God. Don't misunderstand. But that's like the last step. He saved you so that you could walk with Him and talk with Him and live your life for Him and reveal His presence among the world in which we live. He's called you to be something greater than just, oh, going to heaven someday. He's called you to experience His power to live in His presence. And if your definition of following God is you got saved just to avoid hell, you're living with an incomplete understanding of salvation. No, you're going, so He wants me. No, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven when you die. Please hear me. But there's more to it than that. Healthy churches understand we're called to a holy life to experience His power. And the way we find that is in surrender. And we find the next steps in life. You know, we may be known like Peter and John. Do you know they weren't the only guys there that day? There were a whole bunch of other folks there. We don't know who prayed the prayer that day. It could have been Peter. It could have been John. It could have been Joe or Bob. We don't know, okay? And it doesn't really matter. And there were a whole lot of folks that had no names in the Bible that were there agreeing in prayer and being a part of that prayer. And that's what happens when we come together. It's not about us. It's about what God can do. And in one of Jesus' parables, Jesus spoke about the difficulty of the rich entering the kingdom. You know know this story. He likened it to a camel going through the eye of a needle, you know, a little old needle. But he went on and said this at the end of that parable. He said this, with man, this is impossible. You might think to yourself, Patrick, this stuff's impossible. There's no way I can live this way. There's no way I can go to God on all the night. There's no way I can, I can't surrender like that. I mean, people are like, I'm nuts if I do that. When we surrender to God, we think it's impossible. But it's not. 
with God, everything's possible. Healthy believers, healthy churches take a step toward God, not to surrender in defeat. God, I give up, I quit, I can't do it. No, we surrender to allow him to pr- give us the presence and the power and the strength and, the, and the, the ability to go forward. And as God leads us, look out, amazing things will happen. But you've got to say yes to God. And that's really the place that it all starts, is saying, God, I need you. You know, being religious will get you so far, but it won't get you all the way. Surrendering to God will give it to you, new life to you. And we want to give you the opportunity to respond to God this morning. Maybe you need to make a decision for Him. Maybe you need to commit your life to Him. Maybe you've never trusted Him personally. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'll be here at the front. would love to pray with you, pray for you, uh, and share with you God's good news of salvation if you need it. Other decisions, we want to give you that opportunity as well. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to come into your presence today and to listen to your voice. Father, it's overwhelming to think that you speak through individuals, that you use us as flawed people to share your truth and your word. And yet, God, you do. We pray that you'd allow us to hear what you need us to hear, forget what we shouldn't have heard, and trust you, God, step by step. Father, we pray for those who need to make some type of response this morning. God, we give this time to you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.